0: PodNuts wants to thank everyone who supports the network by going to www.podnuts.com slash Amazon. Hey everybody, welcome to Geeksters episode 170. This is a show where we talk about kind of what it's like, the day in the life of a tech. We talk about geeky stuff from iPhones to Androids to laptops to desktops, you name it, we're going to cover it at some point in our show. I'm Martin Abando, one of the hosts here. Uh, today we have a special show. It's just me. I know, maybe not too special, most of you have probably ever turned off the radio by now, but stick with me. Um, What we've had is, I've had some links just kind of sitting in the the wings, just waiting to make it on the show, stuff that I wanted to talk about, stuff that I've kind of found interesting, but our shows have always just been filled with such great content of just kind of what's happening on our daily lives that I've never had a chance to bring it to you. So, this show is all about the links today. So, sit back, relax, maybe grab a pen and paper, you can go ahead and pause it now, I'll wait. I hope you're back. All right. This show is going to be just all about links and just stuff that I found. So one of the first things that I had found that I had kind of been sitting there is a is, a, is a web page from Nixcraft uh, called Collecting Ubuntu Linux System Information. Now, we've had some people write in and tell us, hey, we'd like to hear some more Linux stuff. So I'm going to bring in you some of that today. But this goes through, and it tells you what commands to run to do certain things like find the system host name. Uh, maybe you want to... Uh, you want to display information about installed software, or maybe you want to show up how much free memory you have in the system or find the kernel version number or find your kernel parameters like there are just it's just pages and pages and pages of all of this information that you can find out what exactly is running on your system and then you of course you can put them all together and make one big file and 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 do a big printout of of what your system is running but this is a it's called collecting Ubuntu. Linux um, system information. It's from Nixcraft. And of course, all these links are going to be in our show notes. Uh, The next thing I want to bring up was, this was an interesting article I found from Lifehacker. And it says, six things you probably didn't know were negotiable. Now, what was interesting is when I found this article, I was in the process of buying a car for the business. And I didn't see this article in time and I didn't haggle. And if you're like most people, at least like me, I go in there thinking, that that's the set price when you go to a grocery store you really can't haggle like I've never really haggled for a brick of cheese at a grocery store but apparently you can haggle for certain things and some of us are used to it some of us call up our credit card companies and we say you know what if I don't get this or this company you know this this credit card company is offering me zero percent APR where where you're not I'm gonna go ahead and move because now I can get zero percent for you know a year and a half and and all that or maybe you know I've even had friends call up Comcast or Verizon and or, you know and say hey I'm gonna be moving my telephone and internet provider, if we don't do something, they say, oh, wait, 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 maybe we can do something for you. So, I think we all haggle on one way or another, but there's some things that this article from Lifehacker talked about that I didn't even know you could haggle. So, one, of course, is credit card rates and fees. We, we know that. We already know that you can haggle with them, and maybe you can even get them to bring your APR down. We already know that one. Um, your rent. Now, I've been a renter for many years, uh, actually, I rented up until about three years ago when I purchased my very first home, and I didn't know that you could haggle rent. Uh, I think that may depend on the market, depend depend on the ho- when the housing market and where you're going to live, whether or not you can do that. But that's kind of that's kind of cool. And one of the the things that they had talked about in the rent would be things like. You know, offer to prepay a few months if that's going to set you know if that's going to help, or offer to sign a longer lease, or offer to exchange work for a reduced rate. I don't necessarily think they're talking about you know uh, you know the rent on this house is twelve hundred dollars a month, and you go in and say I'll pay you you know a ten, you know I'll pay you a thousand, and they say ah oh, no. Uh, but if you said things like you know what if you know we do certain things around the house to spruce up the value of the house, can we get that deducted out of our rent? they may go for that. Uh, coupons and discounts. So, they're talking about, uh, you know, look for damaged goods. No shigate, negotiate beyond a price. So, if you're looking at a lawnmower, maybe you can, maybe you can, uh, you know, if you go to Home Depot and you're looking for a lawnmower. I know it's fall's coming in, not going to be as much mowing anymore, but maybe people are looking for snow blowers now because there are no winters coming in. Um, you know, things like, can you get on uh, maybe add-ons or a gas can or oil or a blade, you know, something like that. Um, what about floor models? That's a great thing. My wife and I, our refrigerator broke. Uh, It's just the ice machine, so we're still not, we're still not, uh, we're no, we're not without a refrigerator. But we want to get a new refrigerator, and so we're looking around for things like that. And one of the things we could do is maybe somebody sent something back with a dent on the side. Well, you know, it's a dent. It's a refrigerator. As long as it keeps the cold food, you know, the food cold and the beer cold, then we're good to go. Uh, That may work. That's my me. Spot. I keep speaking on that one. Uh, my wife may have a different, <laughs> a different outcome on that. Uh, my wife being in the medical field, it says that you can negotiate your medical bill. And I'm not sure how that works, but I think they're talking like quick payment offers, um, you know, maybe payment plans, or, or you can actually do uh, maybe co-ops within medical uh, you know, insurance policies, they've got co-ops. So that may be an option. Uh, college tuition, they talk about job perks. Um, maybe talking things like uh, negotiating your your tasks in your job. Um, flex time, you know, working so you can have time off and it's not accrued. Or maybe even just a, a, a job title. Uh, you know, if you get your job title modified just a little bit, that can help you in long-term goals as far as maybe what it looks like for future employees um, hiring you or even just, you know, getting you out in the, in the public more. So, those are some of the things that uh, Lifehacker uh, mentioned of six things you probably didn't know were negotiable. I have to give credit to this one where credit is due. I was listening to uh, Foolish IT. And they, they, every now and then, if you catch them, uh, they kind of do a live segment where you can go and you can sit down and, and chat with with Nick and, and Brentley and jo- and Johnny and um, some of the other people there. Uh, and they're just basically, you're just having a, uh, they're just sitting there and they're working. So, you're just kind of involved in their life, involved in their day-to-day operations. And you can check that out at foolishit.com. But one of the things that one of the um, gentlemen had brought up was a great great Chrome plugin called Magic Actions for YouTube. And he was talking about this plugin and I didn't quite know what he was referring to and so I watched him and then he was going through. And so here are some of the features. So you can change the resolution, you can change your screen control, you can change the cinema control, um, you can take snapshots, you can view stuff, you can enlarge avatars, you can do replay, you know, you can stop the autoplay. So, a couple of cool things. Stop the autoplay for the next coming in, YouTube. Um, you can replay or repeat a video again just by clicking one thing on it. Um, gosh, there's just so, so many cool things on this, and I, I've, I've used it just a little bit um, to know what it does, but... Uh, I recommend this this one. It actually looks it actually looks pretty it actually looks pretty pretty cool. So check it out. It's called Magic Actions for YouTube. So if you're a big YouTube watcher on your Chrome, um, that's on your on your on your Chrome either you know within Chrome. Check this out. All right, the next one. School started here about um, three weeks ago. Uh, one of the schools that I manage and maintain they are Google centric. We did one-to-one. Uh, you may have heard me talk about that. We did a one-to-one for uh, the eighth grade in the um, Chromebooks. Uh, I now have a Chromebook that I borrowed from the school for testing. It, this has taken off so well within the first week that we they're thinking about going and deploying, doing a one-to-one situation for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. They already have teachers, or excuse me, they already have parents calling into the into the school asking them, if I'm going to buy my student a Chromebook now, can they use it when they go into sixth grade, maybe next year? So fifth grade parents are looking at the future and saying, you know, what if I buy a Chromebook today or or should I buy a Chromebook or should I get a laptop or what are you going to use in the future? Um, This is a huge, huge hit and people are really, really enjoying it. It's easy to maintain and manage because it's right from, uh, it's just right from the cloud. You can do all that. So, But if your student is not a Uh, Doesn't have a Chrome Center school? That's okay because if you have a Google account and then and you use Google Drive, then there's a couple things you can do. And this um, this is specifically for students, but I think it goes across the board. It's it's from Make Use of, and it says seven new Google Drive features every student must know. Um, It talks about things like typing with your voice. You can now use Google Docs to type into um, you know for voice typing. And I thought this was so cool because last year here's a here's a great example of of kids just kind of overcoming. My son and myself, not great spellers. He hunt and pecks on the keyboard, but he spends all day on his phone. So because he's got Google Docs, he was able to, and I kid you not, he wrote a report. He wrote a report in Google Docs from his iPhone. And because he could type faster with two thumbs than he could with all four all all fingers on the keyboard. And so now oh, he's got a Chromebook. Now I'm going to show him this feature. And now he can actually talk to his computer and dictate it. Is this going to help him with typing later on in the future? No, it's not at all. Uh, I'm a terrible typist. I can hunt and peck super fast. That's what gets me by. But if you can dictate to Chrome now, uh, Google Docs, that's pretty awesome. Um, they There's some new visual charts and sheets for within Visio or, your, or not, excuse me, within Excel. Um, that's kind of cool. Um, research comes to Android. They're talking about that. Um, old features, new life. So it says uh, they revamped their templates. They've, uh, they've done the templates in Docs and Sheets and Slides. And so there's some really cool new templates um, there. The one thing that they, have, they spent a lot of time talking about is the classroom. It's called Shared a Classroom. Now, the school already uses classroom. And my son is actually involved in this at his school. So what this, is, what this does is that all the teachers, they create a classroom. And they post all their assignments in the classroom. They post all their homework notifications in the classroom. That is their primary way. Instead of emailing all the students, it's a primary sounding board for all of the students to go. And the teacher can communicate with all of them. And then the students can do their work and actually turn it in through there. Well, now they've got Shared a Classroom. And so this is a Shared a Classroom extension. It says "Let's uh, the new Shared a Classroom extension for Chrome. Let's teachers turn everyone's screens into class in a class at the same web page with a couple of clicks, and students can also share their screen with everyone else at the Google Classroom blog. So this is this is so cool. Here's a here's just here's just a quick. Um, a little blurb about it from a third grade teacher saying, the students aren't locked into the page I sent and I had one student navigated from there to an even better site. With the classroom extension, the student was able to push the new site to me. I reviewed it and pushed it to the entire class. She had a boost of confidence when her discovery drove the class dis- discussion. So this is a great way for your your students now to become more integrated in the classroom that we've we we need to work and this is my little here's my little soapbox we need to start working on on education more uh my education wasn't the greatest it was fine i graduated i had good grades but I, honestly i didn't my my wife still makes fun of me to this day because my in senior english i read the book misery by stephen king yeah the you know the one where she breaks the guy's legs sorry spoiler alert uh, that's what i read for english while they were all reading things like grapes of wrath and fahrenheit uh what is it, Fahrenheit something? I can't remember. <laughs> but I didn't read any of those books. So I guess where I'm getting at all that is that we teachers aren't just... The job is not just to stand up in front of the class and just tell you what you need to know. That I want a full integration of the classroom and that the students can actually teach the teacher as well. And this is a great way with Google Classroom. Um, it says, share Google Drive tip for students. It talks about how you can share the drive um, by doing a couple... Um, commands and stuff like that. So, those are seven ways uh, that it's a seven new Google Drive features every student must know. All right. Bryce Witte, uh, the owner of Tech Nibble Repair Kit. I got a chance to meet him and hang out with him for a little bit at CompTIA in Chicago. And such a great, great guy. Well, on his website, now, there's a website on, there's a, there's a blog by David Greenbaum that says, How to Make Money with Free Computer Repair. And I thought, what? So what this is is it's talking about maybe not charging clients for your services, but what to do with it and actually making it a marketing opportunity. So, um, so he's talking about things like free to nonprofits. Um, where or free to service to donations or charity auctions or free contests and giveaways or bartering. So those are some of the ways you could do make money with a free computer repair is that what you can do and I've done this is work for you know you work for a nonprofit. you do work for them they write you off a statement then you take that statement at the end of the year you give it to your tax you know your tax preparer and you get a discount for that um Bartering is a great way, maybe you know you need a fence built, but that computer needs a new com- that person needs a new computer. you can barter for services. you get stuff out of it um, that's a great way to to do that and then it talks about free contests and giveaways and what they're talking about here is you know why not and i 've done this as well is give your services away you know maybe there's an auction going on and you're going to give them an hour and a half of work or a free pc tune up something like that you'd be surprised at how many home jobs may lead into a business or you, there may be just a business there that is looking through the air through through all the stuff that is out for, you know, auction and they see your name. And so if nothing else it's just publicity and it can't hurt anyway. So, Tech how to make money with free computer repair. All right. This one came in this week and both the Hacker News and Beta News came out this and that the Beta News title is AVG's new privacy policy is brutally honest about tracking you. And the Hacker, News, the Hacker News one says, AVG, AVG antivirus plans to collect and sell your personal data to advertisers. So here's what AVG calls a list of in their quote-unquote non-personal data the company claims to protect from its customers and sell to interested third parties, specifically online advertisers. All right? Your browsing history, your search history, your metadata, advertising ID associated with your device your ISP or mobile network you use to connect and information regarding other apps you have on your device. Um, So it says previously policies allowed the firm only to connect to collect data on the words you search and information about any malware on the user's machine. So now AVG is collecting all of that stuff. Here's some and you go, well, how can they do that? Well, here's here's how these all in one kind of things work. Um, antivirus. So when you have these big all-in-one um, package antiviruses that protect you both on, you know, for antivirus, so they're scanning your computer for antivirus, but they're also doing like what's called web content filtering and they're, and they're protecting you from the web, is that all of the data you're requesting for gets ripped out by them. And it may be, and they may go even as far as even SSL data. So secure data gets ripped out, unencrypted by that product on your machine and and then gets packaged up and sent back, sent over to you. This all happens super fast. But what's happening is, is if you go to a site that could have been compromised, uh, maybe your banking site gets compromised. Well, you're actually looking through, we're going to use AVG as an example. You're actually looking through AVG to see your banking website. So if the banking website is corrupt, but you're seeing AVG and AVG is still good, then as far as you know, everything looks good. Well then, the problem is, is you send your data through AVG, it goes to the bank, it gets, you know, compromised. It comes back to you, AVG rips it apart, grabs your data, and then sends it on to you. Well, now AVG is collecting all of that data. Now I don't know if they're, you know, keeping on to your banking information, but their browsing history, your search history, metadata, advertising ID, you know, I don't know. That's just me. I feel like that, you know, if AVG is really going to do that, and this is a free product, so one of the things here it says nothing comes free. But uh, just be careful that come to effect on uh, on October 15th, AVG will collect and sell, quote unquote, non-personal data, end quote, in order to, quote unquote, make money from our free offerings so we can keep them free. So if you're looking for antivirus and you're looking at AVG, AVG may not be the best place to go just because it's free. All right. In the past, we've talked about pixie servers pixie boot servers and i have actually run here one sorry i run one here at home and now what is a pixie boot server so it's my linux box and it's actually running ubuntu 1404 server and what it does is i can boot up a computer go into the go into the boot menu if the uh, you may have to make you may have to go into the bios and change your nic card your network card to uh, allow for network booting but then you can go in there and i boot to it now i get a basic uh, it's a simple web page And from that webpage, I have different installers. And on mine, I have Clonezilla, I have Spinrite, I've got DBAN, I've got Kaspersky's AVG. What that allows me to do is not have to put CDs in all of these different computers. I can bring up a computer, boot right into the hard drive, or excuse me, boot right into my PixieBoot server, and then from there, select different ISOs that I want to run. Great things for like Spinrite and for, um, I use Spinrite and uh, Clonezilla all the time because you know, they're just so small. Well, this is this talks about how to configure a Pixie Boot server in Ubuntu fourteen oh four. And it goes through things like to set up your network interfaces, your DNS, your your excuse me, your DHCP, TFTP, and NFS. So the the, the issue you run into is if you have a Pixie Boot server on site, you need something that will allow within you need something that will allow within your DHCP to point to that Pixie Boot server. So in a, in a in an environment where you have Active Directory already done by Windows, that can be done in the DNS settings. Okay. In a home environment where you just have a router, it can't be done. There's no way to point, because there's there you have to point to pxelinux.0. You gotta do a pointer in the boot up to look for that location. In a home system, you're not gonna have that. So if you're gonna do this in a home system, this would be a great way to run this on a Raspberry Pi, um, Banana Pi, you know, a small little form factor machine. That way you can do this. Now your images don't have to sit on that same machine. Mine do just because they're there. But when I had to when I created my Pixie Boot server, I was stuck because I thought, well, I don't have now. Uh, a, a DNS server anymore, a DHCP server anymore, because I removed that when I moved uh, I got rid of all my servers because I didn't need a domain controller anymore. So I had to, on my Pixie boot server, then make that my DHCP server. So then basically it points to itself now. And this all goes through that. So When you go through this and you say, well, I already have a DHCP server, your router, uh, maybe it's your primary router, you're going to have to move that DHCP server from, you know, you're going to have to disable it on your router and enable it on your Pixie Boot server because you need one in-house. Or if you have another Linux box in-house that can run, uh, you know, that runs as a server, you can do that. Uh, Just move the DHCP over there. But you can't run it off just your home router, unfortunately. Um, but check this out. But it goes through all of everything. It shows you how to do export um, ISOs and you end up with a, 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 you know, when it's all said and done, you end up with a nice um, display and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's really easy. It sounds like it's hard, but it's not very hard at all. And then I find that I use mine all the time to the point of I actually have a couple of Pixie Boot servers at a couple of my locations where I'm always doing something like the school where I'm always imaging devices. I've just put it, I just grabbed one of their Dell Optiflex 620s that they were going to toss with a, I think it may be just a Celeron processor. It doesn't need to be anything fancy. That's my Pixie Boot server. One of our listeners and and, uh, actually a gentleman that I've met many times here in Portland, John Wasserman, has actually sent this over to me. And this is called, uh, man, the name of the company is called Aomei, A-O-M-E-I. Anyways, it's our partition assistant. And we've all had partition tools and we've all used different tools that we like to use for servers and desktops and making partitions, whether it's Gparted or I know... uh, this is one, there's, oh gosh, there's a whole bunch of them. One that I use all the time, Asus has one that, that, that out. Well, this one is free partition management software for server. So this one will actually work on Windows 7, 8, XP, Vista. And it looks like it actually runs on a server as well for 2000, 2003, 2008. I don't know about the other ones, but, um, uh, you know... This is, this is, he passes on to me because I actually was in the process of maybe needing to do something on a server, uh, and he passes on to me, and it makes me nervous every time I'm doing a partition. So, what I'm having is I have a server that has one drive in it, and the primary OS is only 60 gigs, and they're bumping out of space, but their, their secondary hard drive, the D, what they call it, has 400 gigs of, uh, available. So, I want to shrink that down and then make the primary OS, the C drive, um, up to about a Excuse me, up to about a hundred, and uh, you're always looking for partition tools. And so, this is one called Aomi uh, Partition Assistant, and uh, it's free. So, hey, can't beat free. <laughs> all right, forty-one amazing internet security blogs you should be reading. Now, I don't have time to sit in front of a computer all day and read security blogs. I do listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of audiobooks. But if you do have time, here's a list of forty-one. And my goodness. Um, Krebs on security, Schneider on security, US Cert, Dark Reading, Paul Security Weekly, that's by Paul um, He's I've met him at a couple conferences, a really good guy. PC Mag, Tech World, uh, CSO Online, Sophos, and then you have ones from IT industry Sophos, Kaspersky, Symantec, um, Zone Alarm, F Secure, McAfee, uh, and then you have, um, yeah, Dell, WeLive. So, there's just a, this is just a major list of 41 security blogs, so if you have the time and you have an RSS feeder and you want to bring all these in and you're sitting down and, and you have time to, to read through a lot of different posts and blogs, here's 41 of them to keep you moving along. We used to use a program called BitTorrent Sync, and we've talked about it here on Geeksters, and we used to use it, and this is how we would communicate between um, Tim and myself and Mitch, and when Fred was on the show, we used BitTorrent Sync all the time, and then BitTorrent Sync changed their model. And it went to a paid version and everybody thought, and then they limited how many free things you could do, how many free folders you can have. And it just kind of fell apart and everybody was really, really frustrated. I know we on the PodNets network were frustrated because that's how we communicated with Door and we moved all of our data around and it was just so seamless and it was so easy. And at the time, I'm still using it, but at the time, that's how I communicated with my accountant and we sent data, you know, especially tax time, That's where she would drop data and it'd sync with me. And it was just, it was worked out. It works really, really well. But then they switched to that paid model. And everybody said, whoa, this is not so much fun anymore. Well, they lifted the free, they lifted the limit on free folders now. So there's a new plan. There's a pro play, sorry, a pro pay once plan. But um, with the release of BitTorrent Sync 2 in March of 2015, they, uh, it says, I'm going to just read this to you. It says, functionality and pricing was introduced um, with the release of BitTorrent Sync 2.0 in March of 2015. So, and from 2013 to 2015, BitTorrent Sync was free and just, we loved it. Okay, the announcement caused quite the controversy as it limited the root folder count that you could sync with the software to 10. Since the limitation was not available previously, it looked as if the company wanted to get users to sign up for the pro accounts, which were available for $39 per year at that time. BitTorrent Sync announced on Friday that it made the decision to change the pricing and functionality for personal users. So this would have been September 13th when this came out. So that would have been on the 11th. So it's been almost two weeks. But yes, if you are were a bit huge BitTorrent Sync Uh, user, and really liked it, and liked the way that it was secure and safe, they have now limited, they have now lifted the limit. So, you can have more than 10 root folders now. So, awesome news, thumbs up to that. All right, Um, this was an article that I found a little intimidating at first to read, and then I read it, and I thought, kind of smacked myself upside the head and said, how simple. It says, the basics of how I built a seven-figure business without employees. So, I'm a one-person shop. I've talked about that before on Geeksters. I've talked about it on my other podcasts that I have do. Uh, I, I'm in the process of growing. I mean, this week alone, I signed two contracts. And so, I'm really, really busting at the seams. But, you know, one of the things I didn't do, if I could go back in time and I tell my original self four years ago what I know now, things would have been different. And I think that goes for everybody. But if you're a, a one-person shop right now and you're growing and you're looking at how do I grow and be more efficient and how do I kind of make money... Listen to these three things. That's right, not five, not 10, just three things. One, start simple. It says people come often, people far too often come up with the great ideas, then they quickly overbuild them. When they get to the market, there's no way to test or understand which parts of the products are working or not. So start simple. What is your what What is your strengths What are your weaknesses If you go for your strengths If your strengths are home PC repair and antivirus Go for that You don't necessarily have to get into the server market and try to go after those things Maybe that's something you'll learn on the side and then you can dip into that But if that's your strength Go for that Start simple Don't just say I'm going to go into servers and then get swamped and can't figure it out and have a hard time with it Okay Automate early. This one talks about using things like Desk or Zendesk to automate inbound support requests. I'm struggling with this right now because I don't have a ticketing system in place for myself. And I'm struggling because I need to do that. And now I'm trying to turn this Titanic of a ship that I have and make this more automated. But I'm struggling with it. Working on it still. But if this is one of the things I would have known then to do now. Automate early. Get using into Zendesk or Zendesk and or or any other ticketing system or any other it's other product that you can you know you can use there's there's you know there's uh, there's hosts and 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 people who have been on podcast pod nuts before who they who they do that, they work with you and they will be your ticketing system or they'll be your help desk and and stuff. So get going on that early. It may seem like you're going to put some money up front on that and you are, but you're going to have to spend money to make money. The other one is leverage outsourcing. I think those two go hand in hand with, you know, using an outsourcing product as well as automate early. Now the outsourcing product may just be, you know, Uh, an an outsourced help desk, but it also may be something like you want to do a managed services or a product like GFI or crash plan or something that you're going to have control of, but yet you're going to resell back to your customers. That is a very easy recurring income. I make a good amount of money just on GFI because I'm just selling them a product that they need and it just sits and it chugs and it does what it needs to do. And yet it allows me to do inventory and patch management and uh, antivirus all at the same time. So, that's a great, um, those are three great things. And like I said, just three great things. Start simple, automate early, and leverage outsourcing. All right, this is the last one for today. I know, I'm, I'm sorry, but we have to, I gotta go. And uh, But I'll be back. Uh, anyways, another Linux one for Linux fans out there. Ping guy Builder, this is a make a backup of your system or create your own distro ISO. So a while ago, there was a program called Remaster Sys. And it was a free and open source program of Debian um, that allowed you to create a customized live CD of, of what... Uh, you know, of what, of your, your own ISO. Well, now they've kind of taken that and the people who did guy um, OS forked it and created this program called Guy Builder. And uh, what it does is it says it has a front-end GUI, full UEFI support, including UEFI system partitions, populate pool folder with Grub, EFI for online installing. Anyways, you go through this thing, you give it a name, you build your own ISO, and now what happens is you can make your own backup right? You can back up your system or you create your own distro. So if you're anybody, if you're like me, when I create it, when I put my new distro on my laptop, I go through and I get rid of this and I get rid of that and I add this and I add that and I get rid of this and that. So what I should do is I should go ahead and redo my system, put another hard drive in, put the OS on there, install all my apps, everything I need to do, and then create a distro of my own. That way, next time I need to reload the system, I throw it in there, all my apps, my LibreOffice, my, you know, P, uh, PDF mod application, Audacity, those are all in there ready to go for me. And all I need to do is just use that ISO, burn it up again, and put on a new system. Now I've got all my base apps going, run a couple commands, update them all, throw in my data, I'm back up and running. So that's a pretty cool one. I'm going to be using this one coming up here soon to, to go ahead and uh, give it a shot. Well, gals and gals, that's the show for today. I know it's not very long, but I threw quite a bit of links out at you and, uh, you know, just wanted to, to throw it out there. I know that, like I said, Mitch and Tim and I um, miss getting together every week, but sometimes life and family just gets in the way and so be it. But these are some links. They'll be in the show notes. Uh, it's show uh, 170s in the can, guys. Hey, have a great fiscal week and don't forget to be gruntled. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.